Don't let diaper rash come between you and your baby. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through, and keeping their delicate skin happy and healthy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick, goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable as the diaper rash. Instead, try Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant, free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash. Use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel good about making the right choice. Nothing comes between you and your baby, not even diaper rash. Check out Dr. Mom Butt Balm, available on Amazon or walmart.com. Back in the day when my girls were born, it was not easy to share photos and videos with loved ones, but you have a fantastic option available, the Family Album app. The Family Album app was created in 2015 and has operated in the long term to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with loved ones. It's a totally secure personal haven for your family's memories. I love that there's no third-party ads, no unwanted eyes. Now, let me share some of the great features that make the Family Album app a go-to app. First off, the app automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and see how your child has grown. No more scrolling through endless feeds or searching through folders. Another cool feature about the Family Album app is you can order eight free photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. It's really nice to have some tangible pictures to hold onto or share to document each month of your baby's life. Plus, the Family Album app has unlimited storage and it is totally free. Yes, you heard that right. No more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by ads when you're just trying to relive those heartwarming moments. So if you are still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, it is time to level up your family photo game with a free photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, it's all one word, download the app and start creating a legacy of love one photo at a time. In this episode of the podcast, we're talking about high-risk pregnancies, and there's some great information here whether you have a high-risk pregnancy or not. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. I'm Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a board-certified OBGYN physician and certified integrative health coach. Every week, I break down topics, share birth stories, or interview experts to help you have your very best pregnancy and birth. Quick note, the information is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. See the full disclaimer at ncrcoaching.com forward slash disclaimer. Hey, 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 welcome to another episode of the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. Today is the first episode where I am interviewing an expert guest, and we have quite the expert guest for you today. Today, I'm interviewing Dr. Keisha Reddick. Keisha is a board-certified maternal fetal medicine doctor and also a dear friend. I mentioned her in the last episode. She was with me during the birth of my first child. 
Now, Keisha is the youngest of three children. She was born and raised in Columbus, Georgia. She graduated from Spelman College, as did I. She also went to Morehouse School of Medicine. She did her residency training and fellowship training at Duke University Medical Center. That's where we met. And she's currently an assistant professor in OBGYN at Memorial University, Mercer University School of Medicine, the Savannah campus. There she serves on hospital committees, and she's also active on community service boards within the Savannah area. She has three children, and she's married to Dr. Bonzo Reddick, who's the associate dean at Mercer University School of Medicine, Savannah campus. Now, this episode is a little longer than previous episodes, but I promise you it is worth your time. We cover a ton of great information from what is considered high risk to genetic testing to what you could do to decrease your chances of having a high risk pregnancy to how Keisha takes a holistic, individualized approach to caring for her high-risk patients. So you're going to learn a lot, whether you have a high-risk pregnancy or not. Now, before I get into the episode, I want to remind you about the discount I'm offering on the birth preparation course. I'm doing this to celebrate how well things have been going with the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. So until Friday, February 8th, you can get 20% off the birth preparation course I only discount the course three or four times a year, so this will not happen again soon. Now, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you're not happy with it, you can get a full refund within 30 days. Now, it is very easy for me to say how great the birth preparation course is because I am super proud of it, but I want to share with you what a student who is in the course recently said after she finished going through the course with her husband. She said the class was very thorough in its content. It was easy to follow along, well-versed in its research, and packed with insight and helpful tips. We feel better prepared for the birth of our first child as a result. We would highly recommend this course to first-time parents. So this could be you. Head to ncrcoaching.com forward slash enroll to join today and use the code CELEBRATE to get 20% off. That information will be in the show notes. Okay, without further ado, let's get to the interview with Dr. Keisha Reddick. So, hey, Keisha, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. Good. So the purpose of today's episode is to help bring some understanding to what is involved when a woman has what is considered a high risk pregnancy. So I thought we would start off by having you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your work and even your family, if you feel comfortable doing that. Sure. Um, I am a maternal fetal medicine specialist. Um, Some people also call us a high risk doctor or even a perinatologist. Um, I trained at Duke with you for residency, and I stayed there for um, maternal fetal medicine fellowship. And then I went into practice for four years, and now I'm in Savannah, Georgia, practicing. I am married for almost 16 years, and I am the mother of three children. I I say I'm in the TPT group. I have a toddler, preteen, and teen. That's new. I have not heard of that one. (laughs) So I have almost, yeah, yeah. So I have a teen this year, I have a preteen, and I have a toddler. So I'm in that over 40 crew that has toddlers. So shout out to all those women with the toddlers over 40. (laughs) So why don't you go into a little more detail about the training that you went through in order to become a maternal fetal medicine doctor or MFM doctor? And I'm going to use the term MFM just because it's easier to say. 
for maternal fetal medicine doctors, um, the three years of training, we do specialized training with looking at ultrasound. So that's a good portion of my practice is doing consults. Um, that includes those ultrasounds on babies for anatomy. We include genetic testing. Um, in addition to that, we learn to take care of women who are extremely high risk. So some of those are women who may have significant medical complications or some that are pretty routine complications, such as high blood pressure. Uh, we also take care of critical care patients. So over the three years of your fellowship, the majority of it is you spent doing clinical work. So you're learning how to read ultrasounds. You're learning how to do prenatal diagnosis. You're understanding genetics. You're understanding how to take care of high-risk women in the hospital, um, how to do specialized deliveries, um, how to coordinate care with other specialists within the hospital. The other part of that is doing research. Um, anytime you're doing a fellowship, you also need to incorporate research. So for about 18 months of your fellowship, at least when I was doing it, you devoted that time to doing research, and that is original research that you're coming up with on your own. Um, after you do all of that, you do take a board exam, and you have to defend some of your research that you've done. Um, once that's all completed after the three years and you do your board exam, then you are a board-certified maternal fetal medicine doctor. Okay, so that is quite a bit of training, folks, that maternal fetal medicine doctors have to go through in order to take care of women who have high-risk pregnancy. So they're very highly trained, highly specialized in what they do. So what are the top three reasons that women may be referred to see you? And you can talk about more if you'd like, but what are the top three things that you see? I would say number one is if there is a concern on the ultrasound. So if there's an ultrasound finding that your OBGYN sees, they're concerned about the baby's kidneys, they're concerned about the baby's heart, they'll send you to us because we do a more detailed ultrasound. Um, most maternal fetal medicine practices are accredited uh, for their ultrasound as well. What so does that we, mean to be accredited? That means accredited. that you have additional specialized training and specialized um, um, oversight in the things that you're looking for in ultrasound spin. So I would say that's, that's probably the number one reason why, one of the top ones that, of reasons why patients get referred to our practice. Now, do women need to, like, should all women have this more detailed no, kind of ultrasound? No, or is no, what they get with their regular OBGYN Most OBGYNs can do it because here's the thing. The actual risk for having a birth defect in any pregnancy is less than 3%. So there's a small percentage of patients that are actually going to have a birth defect. Um, so you can start off with your, you know, as a low-risk patient with your OBGYN. Now, the second thing why people get referred to us is maternal complications. So we get referrals for patients who have high blood pressure or have diabetes, or maybe they have a history of a heart defect themselves or a seizure disorder. Some of those conditions that moms have can actually increase the risk for the baby to have problems as well. So, for example, women who have diabetes. Some of those women are at a higher risk for having babies with a spinal defect or even with a heart defect. So those patients should have a more specialized ultrasound. Um, the third reason why patients get sent to us is for genetic testing. Um, I think, you know, sometimes patients look at our practice as we're here to tell you something terrible about your baby or we're here to tell you to not continue your pregnancy. I would say it, it's very far from that. Um, the great portion of our practice is prenatal diagnosis. And I often tell patients, you know, I feel like that's one of the things that I was led to do is to help you be prepared for your baby. 
I'm not here to tell you what to do with your pregnancy, but rather to hold your hand through whatever we're going through with this pregnancy. Um, a lot of times patients get nervous about doing genetic testing because they think they're going to get information they don't want to know, or um, they don't know what to do with information, or often patients will say, well, you know, I'm going to love my baby anyway, so it doesn't matter. And I'll say to them, well, it does, because you know why? We want to make sure we have everything lined up for you and your baby at the time of delivery. We want to make sure we're setting your kid up for the best chances of success and survival. So when I tell patients that, and I say, listen, this is what I feel like I'm led to do is to help you be prepared for your child. I think that, you know, the you know, different misconceptions about what we do leave the room and patients will say, you know what, you're right. Let's let's do everything we can to get all the information we can to be prepared. So by the time patients see you, just to kind of take a step back about the genetic testing, is it usually that there has been something abnormal that's been seen on ultrasound and then they're referring a patient to you to do genetic testing to see if that will give them any additional information about what's going on? Or are you just seeing like routine low-risk women for genetic testing? The majority of our patients are advanced maternal age, which is defined as someone who is 35 or older at the time of delivery. Um, So the majority of them are just coming in for that initial screening. Um, I would say there's the, the other part of that population is also, yes, the people who have had some type of abnormal testing or, um, or if they've had some concern on their ultrasound, that's the other group of folks who are coming to see us for a prenatal diagnosis. Okay, and we could probably talk about genetic testing on a whole nother oh, episode. Oh, yeah, we could spend all um, day on that one. <laughs> um, but just, so just to recap, top three reasons usually are to do a more detailed ultrasound because of the, there's a suspicion that something may be going on, or mom has a condition that puts her at higher risk, like high blood pressure or diabetes, or for genetic testing, and to talk through the options and um, what it means for that individual woman to get a genetic test. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Did you know that 95% of pregnant women are not getting their recommended daily intake of key omega-3s? Enter Ritual. Their prenatal contains 350 milligrams of eco-friendly vegan omega-3 DHA in every serving. One of the reasons I like Ritual is that it's a female founded B Corp meaning they are holding themselves accountable to not just their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. In addition to those omega-3 DHAs to support baby's brain development, Ritual also has choline and methylated folate to support baby's neural tube development. And the capsules feature a delayed release design to help make it gentle on an empty stomach. Why settle for a multivitamin you're not 100% sure about? Ritual was literally built on trust, so you know it's the real deal. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com forward slash Dr. Nicole. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women Prenatal to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash Dr. Nicole for 25% off. So now she's referred to you. What can a woman expect when she sees an MFM doctor? Well, if they're advanced maternal age, which is probably a good portion of the patients, or if it's oftentimes those patients will see a genetic counselor. Um, I think that they're an integral part of our practice. Um, They've done specialized training in genetics. These are people who have an advanced degree in genetics. Um, So they'll sit down and talk with a genetic counselor about their family history. 
a, a lot of times patients, you know, don't think about certain things in their family history that we have to trigger them and say, hey, is there anything, is there anybody that has, was born with certain problems? Is there anybody that's had to have, you know, surgery early in life? Because some things could run in families and that may mean we need to do some additional testing. So those patients in general meet with a genetic counselor, they get a full detailed history, and we also go over genetic testing options at that time. Um, generally, after they meet with a genetic counselor, then they will have a detailed ultrasound by one of our sonographers. Um, in an MFM practice, our sonographers have a little extra training um, because of the detailed scans that we do. And then after they meet with a sonographer and you have their ultrasound, then they meet with a physician. And that's at the tail end of the visit where I pretty much go over everything that's been done. Um, most times I will go back and do an ultrasound on the patient and just look over the baby as well and go over the patient's history to give a full, you know, out plan of care for the patient that I tell the patient and that I also send back to their doctor. Okay, so they can expect to, it's not just like come in and sit down and have a discussion. Usually they're going to get an ultrasound before before they see you. Right. And they may have met with a genetic counselor. So it's a pretty extensive process. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, while I'm thinking about it, about genetic testing, I don't want to scare anybody. What percentage of women do you see have abnormal genetic testing results? Oh, um, I, that is not the majority. I mean, I would say less than 5% of the time, you know, because... You know, if you think about it, you know, the ones who are going to have the highest risk are those who are older uh, because of our, you know, our ovaries and our eggs are older. So those are, are going to have a higher risk. But the majority of our patients, we're calling back normal results. So, see, that's I just want everybody to kind of get that in your mind. You know, we're kind of preparing for the possibilities of things. That's why we're having this discussion. But most likely things would be normal. But it's still good for you to have an idea just in case because every pregnancy is different and the process can be a little bit unpredictable. Okay, so what questions should a woman ask when they see an MFM doctor? And the reason I say that is because, you know, you I know you and your practice style and you're a great communicator, but we have to be honest, not all doctors necessarily do a great job of communicating. And I've certainly seen on my side where women come back from seeing a high risk doctor and they haven't it's like they didn't understand half of what was going on. And that process can be stressful for a woman to get sent to an MFM doctor. So what are some questions that she could ask when she's in front of you to help make sure she has a good understanding about what's going on with her pregnancy? I, I think the first thing is, you know, because we do talk a lot about genetics in our offices, really asking questions about, you know, the details about the test. Um, sometimes, you know, I think patients get the misconception that, we can see everything on ultrasound and we can't. We can't. Ultrasound diagnosis is not 100% or that we can test for everything and we can't. We can get pretty close to getting some information, but we're never going to be able to, you know, say, oh, gosh, we see everything on the baby. We can we can never give that complete um confidence and say that all the time. That's a really good point. I mean, we've come a long way in technology, but there's a lot that we cannot say with certainty right. about pregnancy. And, and there's things we see that we're not sure if it has clinical significance because technology has gotten so much better. There's things we are seeing now that we didn't see before. So I think the first thing, you know, I would ask is, you know, getting specifics in terms of numbers and I talk a lot in numbers with patients because I think that paints a big, bigger picture. So if I say, you know, 
you had a genetic test and it showed that your risk for having Down syndrome is low. I could say that, but I'll say, you know what? It shows that in like 10,000 people, only one person will be affected. That's a very, very low risk. So I think, you know, patients need to be clear about, well, what are the specific chances of what, based off your ultrasound, Dr. Redding, and based off of the testing, what kind of risk factors do I have at this point? Um, I think for moms who have medical complications, you know, I think that they need to be detailed about the specifics about their medical complication in respect to pregnancy. Will this cause me to have an earlier baby? Will I be able to get to full term? It could, should I have kids again? Is it risky for me to have any future pregnancies? Um, I think those are all valid things for patients to ask. Um, and I guess I'll say, you know, you mentioned that sometimes when patients leave a high-risk doctor, they don't recall a lot. And that's, I think, often happens, especially when we have a patient that may have a more complicated ultrasound finding where even I feel like, wow, I've just hit this patient with a ton of bricks. I wonder if they process some of this. Um, so a lot of times what we will do, and, and I will say our genetic counselors do a great job of this, is calling patients back and checking in with them and saying, hey, you know, I know there was a lot that we discussed the other day. We just want to check in with you and see if you have any questions, not that you've had some time to think about everything, or would you like to come back sooner than your last appointment so that we can sit down and talk about it all over again? Well, that's really good to hear because for sure you may get hit with just even if it's just something that's not that complicated, a lot of information at once. So the opportunity to go back even sooner than you anticipated and kind of refresh things is really, really, really important. I mean, it, it's overwhelming, you know, it's, it's sure. overwhelming. I mean, you know, I, you come in getting an ultrasound thinking, you know, I'm just getting this ultrasound and then you walk out with devastating news or, you know, for some patients who have certain medical complications, it's managed differently during pregnancy, for example, diabetes. And so, you know, if you find out you have diabetes in pregnancy, sometimes that's devastating for women because, you know, hey, they're pregnant and they want to be able to enjoy their pregnancy. They want to be able to eat what they want to eat. They want to go to their shower to eat cake. And now we're saying, no, you can't do any of these things. Um, and so what I've found to do is, you know, one, calling patients back and just checking in with them. I just, I mean, it's a simple phone call and saying, you know, I know we talked about a lot. Let's let's kind of just rehash it or let me just make sure you're okay or you know, I want to make sure you understood everything we said. Those are just simple things to help our patients out. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, if a woman sees an MFM doctor during her pregnancy, does that mean that the MF doc, MFM doctor is going to be the one who delivers her baby? Not necessarily. Um, most of our practice is what we call co-management. So I will see you as the high-risk doctor, but you will still maintain your prenatal business and your delivery with your OBGYN. An example would be if someone has high blood pressure. I will maybe manage your blood pressure. I will keep an eye on your baby and do your ultrasounds, but your doctor will ultimately deliver you. There are a few circumstances where we take over the care or where the doctor will refer you and transfer your care to us. And those would be, you know, let's say that we're anticipating a preterm delivery and the hospital you deliver at doesn't have pediatricians to take care of babies that young. So in that case, that patient will become our patient. Or if it is a baby that has certain complications or birth defects that need to have surgical repair after delivery or need to have a neonatologist involved, those patients will become our patient. Um, but for the majority of the patients, we like for you to stay with your doctor. Your doctor wants to stay with you. You want to stay with your doctor. Um, so we respect that. And there's only a few a smaller population of women that 
we need to take all over their care. Okay, so that's good to know. Women should will be able to stay with their own doctor the vast majority of time. And it's like you said, a co-management situation. Right. right. Now, the next question, and this one is kind of a pet peeve of mine. I'll let you respond, and then I may add my two cents afterwards. But are all high-risk pregnancies the same? We use that term pretty much for anybody who sees an MFM doctor, but are all high-risk pregnancies the same? No, and it's just like I said at the beginning. I consider there's high-risk and then there's high risk. So I have like the smaller high risk bubble in my head, which is, you know, maybe the patient who is 36 years old. She doesn't have any medical complications. You know, she's fine. She doesn't have any, you know, significant history of surgical issues. You know, those patients are probably going to have an uneventful pregnancy. But then we have those who are in a different category of high risk where it's concerning for them to even have any future pregnancies. So, you know, if I have a patient that has a very complicated cardiac history, you know, that is a totally different patient. That's a totally different management during their whole pregnancy. Um, so I think that, you know, a lot of times when patients come in, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to see the high-risk doctor. I'm like, yeah, but you're only high-risk because you're of your age and you're otherwise a healthy person. So I don't really consider you super high-risk, but certainly there are people who meet that category. And oftentimes those are people who need to see an MFM for the rest of their pregnancy and for any future pregnancies, should they decide to have babies in the future. Okay. Yeah. So that's one thing. I mean, you touched on both of the things that I see. I see a woman who may be considered high risk because she has like, say, um, diabetes during pregnancy. That's very well controlled. She's doing fine with just, um, diet changes, but she's kind of like adopted this. I'm high risk. I'm high risk. I'm high risk. Yeah. And I want to say, like, just step back from that. Like, yes, you have a little bit. I don't want you to get wrapped up in that term because most likely you are going to be fine. Right. And but then on the other and not I mean, like, like very, very fine, normal, uncomplicated delivery. And then on the other side, you have some women who don't necessarily appreciate that they are really high risk. Right. And, you, you know, you're you're trying to impress that you had diabetes before you were pregnant and high blood pressure before you were pregnant and you um, are very overweight, these things can really increase your risk. So um, what are ways or strategies that you try to help women understand their individual risk? I think you just said it right there. You have to take them as an individual. Um, What I have learned, you know, in practicing is, One of the things that I try to do is I just try to figure out the patient who's in front of me. I try not to generalize all of them together. Um, You know, I try to think about how can I make a difference for this person sitting in front of me? How can I, you know, make sure that they are comfortable with me and understand everything that's going on? And and a lot of that is being patient with them, you know? Um, and, and, And sometimes it means you're spending a lot more time and I, I give the example of the patients with diabetes because, again, I think that is extremely overwhelming. I mean, you're, okay, now you got to stick yourself four times a day and check your blood sugar. And, oh, by the way, you can't have this. So a lot of times I'll say, you know, tell me what your day is like. Tell me what your start of the day is. Tell me, I want to know what your life is like. And let's see how we can implement things, at a little bit of things at a time as opposed to overwhelming you with all of this at once. Um, and so I think that tends to work better than, you know, me just trying to beat down on a patient. You need to do this. You need to do that. You know, that doesn't work. You know, they're not my children. Um, and so I have to kind of see things from their 
you know, viewpoint. And that way that I, I can have a little bit better understanding of how I should approach them and how I can make them more comfortable and clearly understand what's going on. I usually, like I said, I just I'm a, little, a lot more patient with them now um, and, and try to really think about their day-to-day life and how I can help them have control over their current situation. So it's obviously important to you to connect with each woman as an individual and um, really to try to provide her the best um, information and um, optimism or realistic picture of what's going on. You're not grouping women all together. You're really taking an individualized approach, which is key. Right, right. Otherwise, you'll start to generalize and stereotype all of them. And you can't, I mean, that's, that's wrong. That's not good care, Absolutely you know, or not. you'll get frustrated, <laughs> you know, you know, some people get frustrated with patients. Oh my gosh, why didn't she do this? Well, let's step back for a second. Okay. Let's think about what her life is like right now. You know, I want you to imagine what her day-to-day life is um, because we, in our practice, we, we teach residents. So, you know, a lot of my teaching is, you know, very much clinical work and academic work, but some of it is also me teaching you how to be a good doctor, how to be a good emotional doctor, um, and and looking at the patient not just from what you see on a piece of paper, but rather their entire life. You know, hey, she has she's working two jobs. Let's see if we need to write a note for her job to tell her she needs to take breaks. Let's figure out what we can do to implement. You know, she's in school right now. Does she have to do this at this time? You know, really trying to figure, helping the patient figure it out because they can't. Sometimes they can't. It's too much. It's too much for them to handle. It is a lot. Right. 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 Well, I hope. That warms my heart to hear that you are teaching other doctors to be that way, because that's a critical skill that we all need as physicians, for sure. What does being high risk in one pregnancy mean for being high risk in a future pregnancy? Um, I think it would depend on what made you high risk. You know, if it is, you know, starting off with a baby, a baby that had a birth defect, um, if it is something that's genetic, that may make you somewhat high risk the next time because you may have a risk for that occurring again, uh, which is why, you know, we like to get some genetic testing on patients because we like to be able to have a conversation about what's the chances of this happening again. Um, if it is certain medical complications, you know, things like high blood pressure or diabetes, as we get older, those risks increase, okay? So, you know, for patients who are otherwise well-controlled, that's great. But as our bodies get older, as women get older, the risk can increase. So you may not be as high, you may not be severely high risk, I guess if that's a word, but there's going to be some aspects of your pregnancy that might be a little bit different. Um, so, you know, if a patient has seen a high risk doctor before in the past, you know, oftentimes they'll see us for a consult again, which I think is completely reasonable. You know, like if a patient's had a prior preterm birth, um, they don't necessarily need to have me as their doctor, but we need to have a discussion about things we need to monitor in this current pregnancy to make sure you don't have another preterm birth or if we can decrease those risks for you having a preterm birth. So again, that individualized approach, it's very possible that you, depending on what it is, you may not necessarily be high risk in the future again, or you may be, or there may be some in between where you just have a conversation about things. So again, that goes back to that individualized approach, but it doesn't necessarily mean that once high risk, always high risk. No, always high risk. No, no. But I, I think it really does depend on what has happened in the prior pregnancy, you know, and oftentimes, again, the majority of them are patients who 
we will see for a consult and we'll give recommendations and they don't necessarily have to come back. Okay. Okay. Good. Now, what are things that women can do to decrease their chances of having a high risk pregnancy? Well, I would say before you're even getting pregnant, you know, being healthy going into a pregnancy is key. So, you know, and, and some things we can't fix or change. So, you know, for people who have things like high blood pressure, optimize blood pressures beforehand is key. For patients who have diabetes, optimizing your blood blood sugars before getting pregnant is key. Um, so I think, you know, if you're having certain medical complications going into the pregnancy, making sure before you conceive that you are in a healthier state is, is important. Um, I'm a big proponent of working out. Um, so, you know, when I have patients who come in and like, I want to start working out, Dr. Reddick, I'm like, well, you can't start CrossFit now at 16 weeks pregnant. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're like, I'm with you. You, we can work you can out, work out but but we're not, not doing CrossFit. That. Yeah. Um, but I think if patients, you know, implement something, you know, it, it, if it just starts with just walking, you know, if you're just, you know, I'll even tell patients, you know, it's hot. It's hot in Georgia. It's real hot in the summertime. Go to the mall. Just go to the mall and walk up and down the mall just once. That's all you have to do. Just something simplistic, something that you can put into your day-to-day life. Um, eating healthy, you know, I think um, uh, we're all a victim of running around, being busy, you know, kids or no kids, work. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we don't get the best things in our bodies. Um, so I think trying to implement that. Um, in terms of things with genetics, there's nothing you can do about that. Um, you know, you just, we are who we are, you know, when things form, they form, there's nothing we could do about that part. Um, making sure women who are anticipating pregnancy are taking prenatal vitamins or vitamin that has some type of folic supplement, which most standard vitamins do. Um, so I think that's key because, you know, there's a risk for spinal defects with low folic acid. Um, and aside from that really is, is optimizing your health if you can before you're pregnant. Yeah, just doing the best you can. And I I have to say, I know that we, this is an ongoing discussion, we in OBGYN do not necessarily do the best job that we can of taking care of women in between pregnancies. Mm -hmm. You know, we kind of do a six week checkup and then, you know, bye, see you later until next year. Yeah. (laughs) So we have some work to do on our side about supporting women so that they can take care of themselves better. But it, I, I can't like over you know, state overstate how important what Dr. Reddick is saying, what Keisha's saying is that we just got to take care of ourselves in general and that, um, help, you know, taking care of yourself between pregnancies before you get pregnancies is so crucial because a lot of things happen in the very beginning of pregnancy. Mm -hmm. There's a a lot of, you know, the baby is all of the organs develop in the first trimester. Really, after 13, 14 weeks, you're just talking about a baby that's just growing, just getting bigger. You know, lungs are developing, but all of those major organs are developed in that first trimester. So, you know, for women who, you know, have certain medical complications, it's imperative that those medical complications are optimized. Diabetes is a a critical one. It's imperative that your sugars are under good control before you even are pregnant. Uh, Plus, it also helps the whole overall outcome of your pregnancy, not just your baby being developed, you know, okay, but also just you doing well during your entire pregnancy. And so the first step to a healthy pregnancy is a healthy mom. Yes. First, yeah. And we're not just talking about 
um, physical health, but also your emotional and mental health right. as well. I, I, I would, you know, say that I think a lot of people don't realize how stress does a number on your body. Mm. Um, and so, you know, a, a, some of my job is me tackling that for patients. You know, if I have a patient that has a very challenging social life, you know, if I have a patient and I walk in the room and I see they've been crying, you know, I'm not going to sit there and start saying, hey, let me see your blood sugar log. I'm going to say, well, what's going on? What's happening in your life? You know, is there something that I can help you with? Is there something that I can try to help fix or find a solution for? Um, because that, you know, I, I can imagine, you know, if you, people think people know that stress causes heart attacks, what do you think it does to your blood pressure and everything when you're pregnant? You know, mm -hmm. I just don't think that it's good to have those, that type of energy, if you can avoid it. So if you know things that help you, you know, prior to pregnancy, whether it's meditation, whether it's taking a run, whether it's taking a long walk, you know, whatever, whatever it is, you need to continue those things while you're pregnant because the pregnancy can be stressful. Um, and so I think starting that off with the pregnancy, you know, if you can be in a good state, that's always key. Absolutely. For sure. Taking a holistic approach to your health is really, really, really important. Hey, so you made it this far in the episode and I'm thinking it's because you enjoyed this podcast. Well, if that's the case, then I have a favor to ask. Creating and producing the All About Pregnancy into Birth podcast has been one of the greatest joys of my life. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you on this journey with me. Your support and engagement means the world to me, and it's what helps keep this podcast going. But here's the thing. Producing a podcast involves time, effort, and resources from recording equipment to an editor, hosting fees, coordinating guests, countless hours spent researching and crafting content. It all adds up. And that's where I could use your support. I've never wanted to turn all about pregnancy and birth into a paywall. I want it to remain accessible to everyone. That's why I've set up a way for you to support the show financially if you're able and willing. If this podcast has helped you during your pregnancy, your birth, or your life, I'm asking you to consider contributing to the show. Your support will help cover production and team costs and ensure that I can continue delivering the episodes you love. So in the month of March, head to drnicolerankins.com forward slash support and contribute whatever you can. Your support, no matter how big or small, makes a significant impact. It helps us continue delivering high quality content and ensures the future of all about pregnancy and birth. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com forward slash support. Thank you so much for being part of the All About Pregnancy and Birth community. Now back to the show. So now the next set of questions are to help listeners get a sense for who you are, not necessarily just as a doctor, but who you are as a person. So what is the most rewarding part of your work? You know, I love it when I can see a patient through a very difficult pregnancy and then they come back and we can get them further than where they are before. Mm. There's a patient who I've been seeing recently. I took care of her and delivered her baby a year ago. And um, she was sick, very sick during her pregnancy and had to get delivered because she was getting very ill. And her baby's doing fine. It's literally, she's, uh, her baby is a miracle. I mean, it really is. 
And uh, I've seen her again, and it just, like, warms my heart to have thought about things and, and have some insight about things to help prevent in the future. Um, so I, I get very, I mean, that's very rewarding. Or if I see a patient and, you know, I love it. I always tell people I love a good vaginal delivery. Yeah, um, I do. I do. I mean, I know I do. We do, you know, a good portion of C-section just because of the nature of what I do. But I always right. say I love a good vaginal delivery. So there was one I had a couple years ago and this patient had a VBAC. And I think she had had two C-sections. And I mean, you know, we were tossing a turner all over the bed. We had the birthing ball. I mean, we were doing everything. And this kid ended up being really big. And she says to this day, she said, I saw your eyebrows raise when the baby came out. <laughs> but she had a great delivery. It was amazing. And right. so before I walked right. out of the room, because I was coming off a call and my partner was taking over the next day, I said, I'll see you back in two years. Right? Yeah. And sure <laughs> enough, two years later, Lord, oh my goodness. She had another baby and had another successful lead back and did wonderful. Right, right. Um, You can hear it in your voice. It was great. It was so wonderful. She had such a beautiful delivery. Um, I mean, I don't know. I feel like when I do a C-section, I'm fine doing them. And I talk to patients throughout the whole time. I play music if they want to. If not, they listen to Beyonce because that's my favorite. And so y'all, y'all don't, let me tell y'all what, I'm going to just throw this in Don't say nothing bad about Dr. Dr. Reddick is like, Top of the bay, the bee. Uh, wait, am I saying it right? The the bay hive. Okay. The bee, yes. The so bay hive. Okay. Yes, I, she I, is like at the top. So in C sections, <laughs> even then, I'll tell, you know, I'll ask patients, is there music you want to listen to, or you know, can we drop the drape? You know, I'll tell dads, come on, I want you to get your camera. Like I, I really try to make it as inclusive as they want me to be. You know, I have some patients who are like, don't say nothing the whole time, doctor. Right? I don't want to know anything you're doing. Um, right, right. But for the vaginal delivery, I don't know. I like, you know, I like to be there holding the patient's head and helping them. And, you know, oftentimes I'll tell moms, I'll say, listen, you're so much stronger than you imagine. And, you know, a lot of times when moms are in it, they're in the thick of it and they're like closing their eyes. I'm like, no, open your eyes. You're about to see this miracle right now. Like you, this is your one time seeing it. Um, so, yeah, I really do love having a vaginal delivery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, on the flip side, is there anything that's frustrating? What's the most frustrating part of your work? Um, <clears throat> I think one of them would be the misconception about what we do as maternal fetal medicine doctors. Um, I think patients or sometimes society thinks that we're here to tell you to not continue your pregnancy. And so sometimes patients come in thinking that that's what they're going to hear from me. And I, that's not what you're here. That's not what I'm here to do. <laughs> that's not what my job is. Um, what can be saddening is when, you know, I have to tell someone some bad news about their baby. Right. You right. know, when someone right. comes right. in, because we also just do, we do ultrasounds for doctors who, uh, patients who are low risk. And, you know, here this couple is coming in here for their ultrasound and they're excited and they can't wait to see the gender. And here I am throwing them a ton of bricks. And yeah. Yeah. that really it it it, it sucks it, it really does it's terrible and it never never gets easy no ever. no it yeah, never ever. gets easy yeah I know sometimes society gives this impression that doctors are like you know we're up, uptight or you know with our white coats on or whatever but I can tell you the good ones and most um we get personally involved and you can't help it it's, it's just kind of the nature of the work. Right. And I mean, uh, it it never gets easy in no. this field to have to deliver bad news. No, yeah. no, never. 
On a higher note, what are you especially passionate about when it comes to pregnant women? Um, <clears throat> well, as of late, I've been really trying to hone in on um, disparities with women, um, our black women in particular. Um, a couple of years ago, I did a talk on maternal mortality rates, and it was rather astonishing, astonishing to me because we had just moved to Georgia, and Georgia had the highest rates in the entire United States. Mm. And, <clears throat> and I, I was just baffled by that. And, um, you know, I often... And to be clear, that's that's women dying that's in women pregnancy. That's women dying, yeah, either at, during, during, during or after pregnancy or after pregnancy. And so, you know, I was shocked. I couldn't understand, like, well, how is this happening? You know, yeah, and, and there's been programs that are being implemented to, to change these outcomes. But, you know, I thought, okay, it's not just because somebody's black or, you know, that they are a woman of color. It's not, there's something more to this. There's something more to why these women are getting sicker. And I'll use myself as an example. Um, I um, had my last pregnancy when I was 37 and a half years old. And so I was advanced maternal age. Uh, my other two pregnancies were otherwise uncomplicated, got pregnant. First one was a vaginal delivery. The second one was a C-section because I stopped dilating and my baby was like nearly two pounds bigger. But we had tried to labor and I was, anyway, so I had a C-section with that one. So this one I thought, whatever, we're having another kid. And I actually got very sick during my pregnancy. Um, I had developed preeclampsia and the severe form of it. And my baby was extremely small because the preeclampsia had affected my placenta. Now, I had worked out during my pregnancy. I actually ran a 5K during that pregnancy. Um, I was working during the pregnancy. But what was the difference in this whole thing? I was a bit older. And it was scary for me to know that I started off this pregnancy healthier than I had any other ones. Physically healthy, I'll put it like that. And yet, somehow or another, I got very sick and delivered a two-pound baby 10 weeks early. And so in my mind, I'm like, there is something else. There, There is something going on with maternal mortality. It's not just delays in care. That may be part of it or, you know, near misses. But there's something that's happening to women of color that's causing them to be a lot of at a higher risk as they get older and, you know, start having children. And how to how to improve that. I mean, right. there's so much that goes into it. Like you said, access to care, right. there's stress, there's um, implicit bias or racism yes. within our healthcare system. Again, a whole nother podcast episode. Right, right, day. right. Um, now you talked about, you just mentioned your personal experiences with pregnancy and childbirth, including having a preemie baby uh, 10 weeks early who was in the NICU. That is something that we, I don't want to say unfortunately share, right. but um, um, how has that experience, because I know it, that experience certainly influences me. How has that experience influenced you and your work? Oh, it, it totally it, it changed a lot of things. Um, you know, I, I don't think as a maternal fetal medicine doctor, you know, I had a grasp on some stuff with the Nikki, but never to this point (laughs) until I had Juliana, um, it was, it's changed a a lot of things. I think, you know, I, I tell people I have my, around with residents throughout the week 
and when they have their didactics, which is where they do um, their educational section, they have um, lectures. I do what my what I call my personal rounds, and those are the rounds where I sit down a, a lot longer with patients and talk to them a little bit about my own experience of having a baby in the NICU, which has to be at the top two most difficult things that I have ever gone through. You um, can't explain. You just you it, cannot very, explain. You know, it. We, I, and, we're, and ladies, we're not trying to like bring you down or anything like that because we, we have come through the other side of it and we have beautiful children as a result. But there is, it's very difficult to explain how challenging, how hard it is right. when you have a baby that's in the Right. And, and, and the crazy thing with my situation was I was on call. Okay. I was the on-call doctor when I got sick mm. and I was... Um, about to go into the hospital and it just so happened my OBGYN she was a general OBGYN she um, you know just happened to be at the hospital on call and I called her and I told her what was going on and so I came in and I was terrified I mean I, I, that's another thing I don't I, I realized I knew too much and I realized how my patients felt like when you're sitting in the hospital waiting for something to happen you know, it's just mm. like you're waiting for the foot to drop. When is it going to happen? Is it going to happen today? Is it going to happen tomorrow? Like, your mind just can't rest. Um, and so, you know, when I got to the point of delivery, and I had this, I mean, two pounds is small. I, I don't know if people realize. I mean, it's, it's two pound human is really tiny. <laughs> um, <laughs> but to see your own child that's two pounds, it, I, I was like, oh, my gosh, is this my kid? You know, is this, did this really just happen? Um, right. But I think one of the things that I've been able to do is really kind of bond with my patients a bit differently than I had mm -hmm. in the past. And even my residents say, wow, you counsel about this so great. You talk about this so differently than your partners do. Not in a bad way, mm. but simply right, because right, I've had right. experience of it. I mean, I've breastfed all of my kids. And for moms in, who have babies in the NICU, breast milk is critical. And um you know, that was the one thing I could control. So I was just breastfeeding like all the time. I don't, I don't even know how I did it. I don't know when I slept, but I breastfed all the time. And so um, I am able to really explain to patients my own experience of what I did. And I'll have patients who call me back now and say, you know, I remember you told me about these emotions you had. And I'm, I sometimes get jealous of other women who are still pregnant. Or I sometimes miss having a baby shower. And I'm like, I know. I know you do. I know it. I can, mm -hmm. I completely can relate to you. Uh, we don't, you know, it, it's, it's, it's the things that you wish you had. And so I think, um, I'll tell you, I'll be honest, when I was going through it, I remember people saying, you'll be a better doctor. And I remember thinking, what? I'm not a bad doctor right now. Yeah. I'm a great doctor. <laughs> um, but it has allowed me to have conversations with patients and give them hope. And, and, and also be just very honest, you know, I'll say, right. listen, it's not going to be an easy road. I'm just being honest with you. You can call me personally at my office and I'll talk to you. I'll meet you at the hospital if you want me to. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard. Um, I mean, it's hard. I cried every single day, but I, <laughs> yes, <laughs> my job yes, yes, because it's hard to see the end in sight. And, and, and you just never, you know, you never know how you're going to. I mean, I, I, they're so tiny. They're so helpless. And, right. you, and it's unnatural. Right. You know, you're leaving a baby at the hospital while you go home. And right. for us, right. we had two other children who were in school. So, um, you know, I think the nice thing that has come out of that, one of the blessings that's come out of it is me being able to communicate with my patients and talk with them and, and 
they can see Keisha Reddick. Right. They right. don't just see right. Dr. Reddick. They see yeah. Keisha Reddick, who has had the preemie baby, the one yeah. who's had preeclampsia early. You know, the one who's, you know, I told my, hey, I was scared. I mean, for real, I was. Um, and so I think yeah, that I, they appreciate I, you that. know, I don't want to, I remember some of those texts and, and being on the, receiving you know, it. as I've, <laughs> the receiving end and how um, that was a stressful time for you. Yes. So for sure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I think it's been good for me to help my patients out who are going through a similar situation. Just to end, what is one piece of advice, the one most important piece of advice that you would give to expectant moms? You know, I think number one would be, I want you to enjoy your pregnancy. Despite the discomfort, despite your fears, I want you to try to enjoy your pregnancy. This is the closest you and that baby will be. Um, because often, that, you know, I've never thought about yes, that. This is the closest yeah. y'all will ever be. This is it. And so, you know, when I've had patients who've had complications or losses from before, it breaks my heart because they are on eggshells during their pregnancy. They're scared. And I'll tell them, I'm like, okay, here's your homework. You're 28 weeks now. I want you to go and buy something for this baby. Just one item. Just go buy it. I want you to have some faith. Just go buy something and, and have faith that it's going to be okay. I want you to try to just one step at a time, enjoy your pregnancy. This is the closest you and your baby will ever be. I like that. I like that a lot. Well, thank you again for being well, thank here. You this, for having was, me. this was great. And I know it will be super helpful information to the women listening. So where can people find you if they're interested in seeing you as a provider? Or I don't know if you do any social media or anything like I, that. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a good thing. <laughs> uh, but I am located in Savannah, Georgia. I'm a physician um, here at Memorial hospital. Um, so anyone in the Savannah area who, you know, has any concerns about high risk complications, um, or, or if they want preconceptual counseling, we also do that. People who may have a history of certain medical issues or a family history, we talk to patients and give them information, things to get prepared for, for a future pregnancy. Okay, perfect. Well, that's it. Thank you again, Keisha, and I will talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Wasn't that great? Tons of useful information there. Now, when I have a guest on the show, whether it's an expert guest or someone sharing their birth story, I like to give something that I call Nicole's notes. And it's just my top three or four takeaways from the show. So my first takeaway from today's show is you will most likely have a normal pregnancy. The risk of you having any issues is low. Number two, a maternal fetal medicine doctor is there to help you get the best outcome during a pregnancy that has some concerns. They're not there to scare you. They're not there to make you feel bad. They are there to help you have the best possible outcome for you and your baby during your pregnancy. Number three, if you have to go to a maternal fetal medicine doctor, you deserve an MFM who treats you with respect who treats you with kindness, who appreciates you as an individual and not a condition, and also takes a holistic approach to your care. 
So do not be afraid to switch if you're not happy with the MFM doctor that you have. And then the last thing is remember to take care of yourself. That is so important for having good outcomes for your pregnancy. Take care of yourself both during your pregnancy and in between pregnancies to have healthy pregnancies and a healthy life. So what did you take away from the episode? Let me know on Instagram. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Nicole Rankins. You can comment in the post for this episode or send me a DM. Now be sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you feel so inclined, I'd really appreciate you leaving an honest review in iTunes. It helps other women find this show. And don't forget about the discount or the birth preparation course. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the regular price of the course. I don't discount the course often, so don't miss out. There's a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you're not happy, you can get a full refund within 30 days. Go to ncrcoaching.com forward slash enroll and use the code CELEBRATE to claim your discount. All right, I will see you next week. And until then, I wish you a healthy and happy pregnancy and birth. Today's episode is brought to you by Women's Wellness Coaching by Dr. Nicole Calloway Rankins. Head to ncrcoaching.com to check out my free one-hour mini course on how to make your birth plan, as well as my comprehensive online childbirth education class, the birth preparation course. With over eight hours of content and a private course community, the birth preparation course will leave you knowledgeable, prepared, confident, and empowered going into your birth. Head to ncrcoaching.com to learn more. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Hamburglar, the time is yours. Bravo, bravo. He said, these are McDonald's best burgers ever. And then, can I keep them? And then he just grabbed them and ran away. Brubble. Now get a Big Mac or double cheeseburger for two bucks in the app. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one time per day. Must opt into rewards. Visit McD app for details. Available at most restaurants in this area. Comparison of McDonald's classic burgers to prior burgers. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.